And so we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts will be acceptable, Lord, in your sight, our King and our Redeemer. Amen. So our series uh, continues. Uh, the brilliant introduction that Beth gave us last week uh, to Hosea, and today Micah. And uh, you'll see here already uh, that Micah is not totally unknown uh, in the world. It might seem that some of these guys are a little bit obscure, uh, but there's a whole movement that has taken up uh, this idea of Micah and the passages that we read uh, today to be involved in campaigning about the world in which we live and about issues of poverty and injustice and sharing of resources and seeking to bring peace instead of war and particularly the focus at the moment on halving of poverty. And uh, the leader of this Micah challenge uh, is Joel Edwards who is there on the, uh, on the slide. Uh, and I worked with Joel quite a lot in the Evangelical Alliance when he was the director of the Evangelical Alliance and I was really thrilled when he took up this role to really expand this vision uh, that I believe we find uh, in Micah. And there are some really powerful words uh, as Lee read uh, that reading to us. The idea that swords would become plowshares. And uh, for years in uh, my office on one of my doors I had uh, a, a drawing of the Bethlehem blacksmith and the Bethlehem blacksmith just had one sword that he was working away with uh, on the anvil uh, to turn that sword into a plow. And it made me think, every day, there's just something we can do to change a situation. It's not that I can change the whole world, uh, but just like that one blacksmith there is working with one sword to make it something uh, that brings uh, human flourishing. So what can we do? And that's really the question that Micah asks us. And as we think about change, we don't know sometimes the implications, the ripples that go out from something that we do. There was a photograph taken during the Vietnam War, and some of you perhaps remember this photograph. And the photographer didn't know what was going to happen when he took that photograph, because that photograph did go around the world. And it did bring about a ceasefire in that terrible uh, war in Vietnam. And the girl in the picture there is Kim. And we've had Benjamin here today in uh, a loving family. And that's actually the family that Kim was brought up in, that kind of family. She was brought up in a loving, caring family in Vietnam. And then this happened when napalm was dropped. And it's like a jellied petrol, uh, which is with bombs and flamethrowers. Uh, and it was assumed that Kim, the girl in the picture, uh, would die. She wouldn't live. Seventeen operations took place on Kim's body. Uh, and Kim survived. And yet, inside, she had died. As she described it later, she said, My life was filled with anger for what had happened in my community, with bitterness. And I didn't want to live. But at the same time, she said, I was searching. Could this mean anything? Could it mean anything at all? And at the age of 19, 
Kim began to read the Bible for the first time. And she discovered there the message of God's love. She discovered about Jesus. She discovered about forgiveness. And that changed her life. And she said, no longer was I asking, why me? Why did all this happen to me? But rather, Lord, help me. Help me to make a difference. And she didn't know what the answer to that prayer would be. But she felt that she received peace in her heart and compassion. Over the years, uh, she moved around, she married, uh, she had two children, and they were growing up in Canada. She joined a Baptist church. She didn't really want to be in the public eye, although she was in the public eye. But in 1996, she was given the opportunity and accepted the opportunity to speak at ceremonies uh, in Washington, D.C., connected with Vietnam. And she spoke about the need for forgiveness and the possibility of hope. And she spoke about people who bombed. She said they also need peace. They need hope. They need a way on from where they've been. And so the Kim Foundation was formed. And instead of being the girl in the picture, uh, Kim became herself a picture of peace, a message of peace. And this UNESCO organization, the Goodwill uh, ambassador for Peace, as Kim was named, uh, became something uh, that began to effect change as Kim spoke to different audiences and spoke to them also about her faith and about her testimony. And so we do live and have lived, and people of my age remember this Vietnam War uh, very well indeed. We've lived and we live in a world of conflict, don't we? And we live in places where people are trying to bring peace. And people in our armed forces are trying to bring peace. But there is also, within our world, so much hostility. And I think for us here in Camborne this morning, it's not that we are going to necessarily be the kind of people uh, who will go around and speak to United Nations audiences. Uh, but there are things we can do. Because the sword is not just the physical sword. It's the sword of hostility, which so often is around in, in the discourse of uh, our country. And even hostility against Christians has been growing. And it's so tempting to us to meet hostility with hostility, to think there's a bit of aggression there. If I bring in my own aggression, then I'll have dealt with it. Is that the way of Jesus? Is that the way of turning the sword into the plowshare or the spear into the pruning hook? It's not the way, is it? We know that. We know that our job is not to study war, not to study war in the sense of how can we be the victors. We ain't going to study war no more. I'm tempted to sing it, but I'm not going to sing that great Negro spiritual uh, unless you say, yes, yeah, sing it, Ian. But I know you won't say, yes, yeah, sing it, Ian. <laughs> and I ain't going to study war no more. I ain't going to study war no more. I ain't going to study war no more. I hope we ain't going to study how to be those kind of people uh, who want to do somebody else down. But in our communities, let's be places of peace, of flourishing, of affirming people, of building bridges 
with other people. And in those communities of peace, we've got examples where different nations come together. We're different nations this morning. And way back in the 18th century, a movement that I've studied, uh, the Church of the Moravian Brothers and Sisters in Central Europe, where some of my family live. Uh, This is an, an early painting of this community this Moravian community of Christians. Uh, It comes from the 18th century. It's a painting from that. Uh, Jesus is there. But does anything else strike you about this uh, painting from the time? There's probably several things, but anything? Yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. And this was a very intentional thing that this Christian community said. We don't belong to one nation. Uh, We're not a national church. We are an international movement, a movement of God to bring people together. And that's so powerful. And this Moravian movement was actually uh, the first significant Protestant missionary movement to go to so many parts of the world. And, And the pictures that they painted said something about what they felt about their identity as Christians from many nations. And I read recently one of their meetings. This was actually in North America. They were singing hymns simultaneously in 12 languages. Uh, And European languages included in that was Mohican and Mohawk. So all of this had come together as a sign of what we're talking about this morning. A sign of many nations coming to the house of God. And as they sent out their missionaries... It wasn't the Europeans sending out to the rest of the world. It was people from different parts of the world going to other parts of the world. Something we recognize today. But back then, here's a sign of God's reconciling work. And so we are picking up on that uh, in our readings and and rather wonderfully uh, using a passage that is actually the set passage for the week of prayer for Christian unity from our brothers and sisters in India. And when we set Micah for today, we didn't know that that was what was going to happen. But that's the reading that we have for today, this prayer from the brothers and sisters in India, that we should pray together, that we should pray that God would help us to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. And it's fascinating in the reading uh, that the question is asked, What's required from us? What should we do as Christians? Is it that we should have more and more times of worship? That's really what Micah was uh, questioning. More burnt offerings, more calves, more rams, all these sacrifices. More and more and more and more and more and more. It'll be great. God will be so pleased. He'll be so happy that we're doing all this. Uh Uh-oh. Not that way. To be just, to be merciful, to walk humbly with God, to be involved where we can in the issues of the world, like this meeting that took place a few years ago in Birmingham, uh, which really sparked and, uh, and out of that came a great movement of uh, seeking to deal with the debts of the poorest countries in the world. And my friends who were in that meeting said it was mostly the churches who were there in Birmingham 
to launch this international movement. And so we're interested here. Uh, speak to Daisy if you would like to know more, or to Julie about fair trade and Camborne, and what we can do in our local community to change things, to bring fairness, to act mercifully. And perhaps the inspiration of Kim, who I said at the beginning uh, had taken up this role as an ambassador. And she said this, if it hadn't been for the war, I wouldn't value peace. If it hadn't been for the pain, I wouldn't know the healing power of love. If it hadn't been for the hatred, I'd never have learned to forgive. If it hadn't been for the fear, I wouldn't have known God's peace. So God changes things. He does it as we encounter Christ himself. And this is a painting uh, that changed the life of one of those members of the Moravian community. He saw this painting, which is Behold the Man, Jesus. He was 18 years old. And as he saw that painting in Germany, he said, I felt the word of God being spoken to me. And this word, this was the word. I have done this for you, said Jesus. What will you do for me? And we still hear that word today, don't we? the word of Jesus. He's done this. In Christ alone we have hope. And through the inspiration uh, of what Christ did and what he says, we are called to be people who act justly, who love mercy, and who walk humbly with our God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.